0: the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the Church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this first weekend of March and of Lent. Instead of a guest in the interview segment, because we have just started Lent, I offer a mini pilgrimage of sorts that allows you to visit some of the Lenten station churches in Rome, very special churches that tell a beautiful story over the 40 days of Lent, a story found only in Rome. This is a very special time of year, especially for English-speaking Catholics, and you'll see why when you stay tuned for that special, and then the Q&A. By the way, most weeks there is time for a Q&A, but sometimes the length of news reports or interviews leaves no time. In any event, if you have a question, email me at jonesrome at ewtn.com. And now the news highlights of the week. Sunday, February 27th. At the Angelus, after reciting the Marian prayer from his study window with the faithful in St. Peter's Square, the Holy Father renewed his invitation to set aside Ash Wednesday, March second, as a day of prayer and fasting for peace in Ukraine. It is a day to be close to the suffering of the Ukrainian people, to be aware that we are all brothers and sisters, and to implore God for an end to the war. He began by saying, In these days we have been shocked by something tragic, war. He appealed for prayers and closeness for those suffering the Russian assault in Ukraine, for the opening of humanitarian corridors for those who flee, and for political resolutions to conflicts in Ukraine and other parts of the world. He said those who wage war forget humanity. They do not start from the people. They do not look at the concrete life of the people, but put partisan interest and power in front of everything. They rely on the diabolic and perverse logic of weapons, which is the most distant from the will of God. And they distance themselves from the common people who want peace. Francis said, "...it's the ordinary people who are the real victims, who pay for the follies of war with their own skin." And he mentioned the elderly, those seeking refuge, and mothers fleeing with their children. They are brothers and sisters for whom it is urgent to open humanitarian corridors and who must be welcomed with an aching heart for what is happening in Ukraine. Pope Francis also invited all men and women of goodwill not to forget the wars in other parts of the world, mentioning those in Yemen, Syria, and Ethiopia. Saturday, by the way, the Pope had spoken by phone with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Monday, February 28th, Pope Francis welcomed representatives of the Christian churches in Iraq who are visiting Rome on the occasion of the first anniversary of the papal trip to Iraq in March 2021. Addressing the delegation, he recalled that Iraq is the cradle of civilization and of Christianity and a land of exiles since biblical times. Referring to tragic events of recent years, he expressed his deep gratitude to the Christian communities of Iraq for their courageous witnesses of fidelity to the gospel amid persecution, and he also commended the Iraqi churches for their fraternal relations. I bow before the suffering and martyrdom of those who have preserved the faith, even at the cost of their lives. Wednesday, March 2nd, Ash Wednesday. Pope Francis continued his new catechesis on old age at the weekly general audience, saying, We now consider the contribution the elderly can make to the development of a truly humane society, one in which every age group has something to offer. The elderly have much to teach us about the meaning of life. Theirs is a wisdom, matured over time, that can help us to face the ever-new questions and challenges raised by today's rapidly evolving society. Francis underscored that the covenant between young and old is indispensable for a healthy social life, and he added, "...may we learn from the elderly that the true rhythms of life are not those of the stopwatch, but of the harmonious relationship between the generations." In language greetings, Francis thanked the people of Poland for their generosity towards people fleeing the war in Ukraine, and he asked all men and women of goodwill to be close to the population suffering bombings and violence. You were the first to support Ukraine opening your borders, your hearts, and the doors of your homes to Ukrainians fleeing the war. He expressed deep gratitude and bestowed his blessings on the people of Poland, noting they are generously offering the refugees everything they need to live in dignity, despite the drama of the moment. Francis then noted that the priest doing the reading in Polish, he said, This Franciscan friar who is speaking now in Polish, but he's Ukrainian. His parents right now are in shelters underground, defending themselves from the bombs in a place near Kiev, And he continues to do his duty here with us. Now every year on Ash Wednesday in the start of Lent, popes process from the Benedictine Church of Sant Anselmo on the Aventine Hill to the nearby Dominican Basilica of Santa Sabina, thus renewing a centuries-old Roman tradition of celebrating Mass at what are known here as Lenten Station or Stational Churches. At Sant'Anselmo, there's always a moment of prayer, followed by the penitential procession, then Mass and the imposition of ashes at Santa Sabina. Cardinal Pietro Parolin presided over the customary Mass on Ash Wednesday in the Basilica of Santa Sabina in place of Pope Francis, who is resting due to acute knee pain that the doctors are treating. The Cardinal read the Pope's homily that recalled this day of prayer and fasting for Ukraine. Thursday, March 3rd. Holy See Press Office Director Matteo Bruni issued a press release noting that at the invitation of their respective heads of state and bishops, His Holiness Pope Francis will make an apostolic journey to the Democratic Republic of Congo from July 2 to 5, 2022, visiting the cities of Kinshasa and Goma, and to South Sudan from July 5 to 7, visiting Juba. The program and further details of the journey will be announced in due course. We have since learned that the Pope will be joined by Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and by the leader of the Church of Scotland. Pope Francis has often expressed his closeness to the people of the DRC, victims of violence, health issues, and political instability. Recently, in fact, he condemned an attack on a camp for internally displaced persons by an armed militia. The DRC hosts 5.6 million displaced persons, with most in the eastern part of the country. Friday, March 4th. Meeting with members of the Italian League for the Fight Against Tumors, Pope Francis paid tribute to their century-long history in serving those struggling with cancer, along with the families who care for them. He noted how they have adapted to the changing times in society and health systems and served as a forerunner of modern-day palliative care. The Pope praised how the group has chosen over and over again to fight the battle against this disease, together with patients and those who care for them, choosing to be a neighbor in the face of a culture of indifference. Francis urged his guests to, quote, "...remember that the right to care and treatment for all must always be prioritized, so that the weakest, especially the elderly and the sick, are never rejected. Life is a right, not death, which must be welcomed, not administered. And this ethical principle concerns everyone, not just Christians or believers." He also added words of encouragement to all to help maintain, advance, and strengthen the Italian public health care system, saying it's a gift to society, while there are other countries where people are unable to pay for care or do not have a health care system. Also Friday, Pope Francis presided over an ordinary public consistory of cardinals to set the date of the canonization of Dutch Carmelite priest Titus Bransma, French sister Maria Riviere, Founders of the Sisters of the Presentation of Mary, an Italian Sister Mary of Jesus, foundress of the Congregation of the Capuchin Sisters of the Immaculata of Lourdes. They are among ten new saints the Pope will canonize on May 15, 2022. Father Titus Bransma was a Dutch theologian, journalist, and author who forcefully opposed and spoke out against the anti-Jewish laws the Nazis were passing in Germany before World War Two. He was arrested in January 1942 when Germany invaded the Netherlands. The Nazis told him he would be allowed to live a quiet life in a monastery if he would announce the Catholic newspapers would publish Nazi propaganda. The Carmelite priest refused, for which he was subject to hardship and starvation in the Dachau concentration camp. He died after he was injected with carbolic acid on July 26 that very same year, 1942. He was 61. Well, lots of news this week, but next week will be quiet as Pope Francis and ranking members of the Roman Curia go on their Lenten retreat. And that retreat is the focus of the Q&A this weekend. So, after that, stay tuned for my special on Rome's Lenten Station Churches. Have a blessed weekend. Welcome to this week's Q&A where I'll speak of the origin of Lenten retreats in the Roman Curia. Now, annual retreats for the Pope in the Roman Curia trace their origins to Pope Pius XI, who on December twentieth, nineteen 1929, marked the 50th anniversary of his priestly ordination by publishing the encyclical Mens Nostra on the promotion of spiritual exercises. This was addressed to patriarchs, primates, archbishops, bishops, and other local ordinaries in peace and communion with the Holy See. In that encyclical, the Pope informed the faithful that he had arranged to hold spiritual exercises every year in the Vatican, a custom still practiced by the Holy Father and ranking members of the Roman Curia. In the early years, this retreat was held during the first week in Advent, but it now takes place in the first full week of Lent. Cardinal Achille Ratti, Archbishop of Milan, was elected to the papacy on February 6, 1922, and he took the name of Pius XI. He died on February 10, 1939. On January sixth, the 1929 Feast of the Epiphany, Pius XI declared a jubilee year to mark the upcoming 50th anniversary of his ordination, and he asked the faithful to, quote, share in the joy of their common father and to join with us in rendering thanks to the supreme giver of all good. At the end of that year, in the encyclical Mens Nostra, He looked back on the many and rich fruits of the Jubilee, and he wrote that as a way to express our heartfelt gratitude, we have deemed it fitting to establish something most excellent, which will we trust, prove a source of many advantages to the Christian people we are speaking of the practice of spiritual exercises, which we earnestly desire to see daily extended more widely, not only among the clergy, both secular and regular, but also among the multitudes of the Catholic laity. Pius XI then wrote at length on the history of sacred retreats, citing the words on this subject of his predecessors, of doctors of the Church and founders of religious orders, such as Don Bosco of the Salesians, and most especially, St. Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Jesuits, quote, whom we are pleased to call the chief and peculiar master of spiritual exercises. The Pope, in fact, on July 22, 1922, had declared and constituted St. Ignatius of Loyola the heavenly patron of all spiritual exercises, and therefore of institutes, sodalities, and bodies of every kind assisting those who are making spiritual exercises. He underscored the joy and consolation he found in spiritual exercises, and he announced, in order that we may secure this joy and consolation, both for ourselves and for others who are near us, we have already made arrangements for holding the spiritual exercises every year in the Vatican. While highlighting the value of retreats, he admonished, Nor should the priest of the clergy, secular and regular, think that the time spent on the spiritual exercises tends to the detriment of the apostolic ministry. Now, in 2014, the spiritual exercises for Pope Francis and members of the Curia marked the first time they were held outside Vatican City, specifically in Aricia, not far from Rome, in a religious house. The last couple of years, of course, because of COVID issues, each person, including the Holy Father, has done their spiritual retreat for Lent individually. is a precious gift from God. As the largest religious media network in the world, EWTN has an important role in educating others about our Catholic faith and spreading the good news of salvation. We invite you to explore our numerous pages of historical faith documents, prayers, teachings, and other current issues in Catholicism today. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN, the global Catholic network. often wonder about the power of prayer. Why do we pray anyway if we end up having to do so much work for ourselves? So the reality is we find ourselves up against a wall and we pray. It's like God turns a light up on the other side of that wall, brighter and brighter and brighter until the light shines through the tiniest cracks. God might not do it all for me, but he shows me how to make my work more efficient so that together we can accomplish all things through his grace. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Because we've just started Lent, this weekend in what is normally the interview segment, I offer a mini pilgrimage of sorts as we visit some of the Lenten station churches in Rome. Very special churches that tell a beautiful story over the 40 days of Lent, a story found only in Rome. Every year on Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent, popes process from the Benedictine Church of Sant'anselmo Anselmo on the Aventine Hill to the nearby Dominican Basilica of Santa Sabina, thus renewing a centuries-old Roman tradition of celebrating Mass at what are known here as Lenten Station or Stational Churches. At Sant'anselmo, Anselmo, there's always a moment of prayer. This is followed by the penitential procession to the Basilica of Santa Sabina. Traditionally joining the Pope in the procession are cardinals, archbishops, bishops, the Benedictine monks of Sant'Anselmo, Anselmo, the Dominican Fathers of Santa Sabina, and lay faithful. In Santa Sabina, the first of the 40 station churches, the Holy Father then presides at Mass, and after his homily, there is the rite of the blessing and imposition of ashes. In conclusion, the Pope imparts his apostolic blessing. In 2021, because of concerns of contagion, if crowds gathered for this traditional event, thus potentially spreading the coronavirus, no afternoon procession was scheduled. Rather, at 9.30 in the morning, Pope Francis presided at Mass and the distribution of ashes at the altar of the chair in St. Peter's Basilica. Another change prompted by COVID-19 last year came in a January twelfth note from the Congregation for Divine Worship that detailed how ashes are to be distributed. Priests will bless the ashes, sprinkle them with holy water, and say one of two formulas, repent and believe in the gospel, or remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sanitizing his hands and wearing a mask, the priest will then silently sprinkle ashes on the head of each faithful, not on foreheads, as is traditional in a few countries. This year, 2022, because of acute knee pain, Pope Francis was advised by doctors not to preside at the procession and mass in Santa Sabina. In his stead was Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Parolin. Our pilgrimage of station churches thus starts at Santa Sabina, in the elegant Aventine neighborhood that overlooks the Circus Maximus and the Baths of Caracalla. Situated on the Aventine's Piazza Pietro Liria, the Basilica of Santa Sabina, chronologically the first Lenten station church, was established at the start of the 5th century by a priest named Peter who was from Illyria. In 1222, Pope Honorius III gave the adjacent ancient turreted palace of the Crescenzi family to the Dominicans as a monastery. And, in fact, over the years, both Saints Dominic and Thomas Aquinas lived here. Modifications and additions in the 16th-century basilica altered its appearance. In the early 1900s, the church was restored to its original design. It has three aisles and 24 fluted Corinthian columns. Little is left of the original mosaics. In the middle of the nave is the mosaic tombstone dedicated to Munoz de Zamora, Master General of the Dominicans and a biographer of St. Dominic. Adjacent to the church is the cloister built by St. Dominic in 1220 and restored between 1936 and 1939. The practice of station churches had its origins in the first centuries of Christianity, when most of the early popes celebrated the liturgy on special liturgical feast days at special churches in the Eternal City. This eventually became principally a Lenten devotion. In his liturgical reform, Pope St. Gregory the Great, who reigned from 590 to 604, established a station church for each day of Lent thus making the whole season a pilgrimage on the path to conversion while preparing for Easter. The first station church, as I said, every year is always Santa Sabina, where the Pope celebrates Ash Wednesday Mass. In the early days of the church, Lent was a time in which catechumens began their journey of faith and conversion prior to receiving baptism. The word station is associated with two Latin words, stare, meaning to stand, and stasio, meaning standing still, or a stationary place. In early times, the celebrations began with clergy and congregation gathering at one spot called the collecta, and processing to the station church, stasio, while reciting litanies and other prayers. The Eucharist was then celebrated at the station church. And by the way, our word collect, not collect, is related to this early gathering. Today, the Collect is a prayer that concludes the opening rites of the Mass. The celebrant says, Let us pray, the faithful rise, and the Collect is recited, a prayer to God that is drawn from the readings or feast of the day, or the purpose for which the Mass is being offered. The Collect always precedes the first reading that is the start of the Liturgy of the Word. Unfortunately, the custom I mentioned earlier began to fall into disuse, and it stopped when the papacy was in Avignon from 1309 to 1377. It was revived by Pope St. John Twenty-Third in 1959. The 7 a.m. Masses in English at a different church each day in Rome have become a gathering spot for English-speaking Catholics. Any given day of Lent we will find priests, Roman seminarians, religious from around Rome, embassy personnel, very often ambassadors, some of whom speak English only as a second or even a third language. Also coming are university students and other members of the laity all gathered together to celebrate the Eucharist. Masses in other languages, including German, Latin, and Italian, are celebrated at other times in the station churches. Not long after John the Twenty-Third revived this custom, the rector staff and seminarians of the Pontifical North American College, the American Seminary in Rome, began to frequent the Lenten station churches, attending Mass each morning at 7 in English at the assigned church of the day. Now, all these years later, they still observe this Lenten custom and on most days walk to the church from the college located on Janiculum Hill. On some days, that is a very arduous undertaking and means a very early wake-up alarm. In addition to the station churches, a long-standing Roman custom is to visit the four major or papal basilicas—St. Peter's, St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major, and St. Paul's outside the walls—all this in addition to three more important basilicas in what is commonly called the Seven Church Walk— the three additional basilicas are Holy Cross in Jerusalem, St. Lawrence Outside the Walls, also known as St. Lawrence Alverano, and St. Sebastian. The seven-church walk is traditionally done on the Wednesday of Holy Week. In preparation for welcoming pilgrims on its designated day in Lent, each station church gets spruced up in some fashion for the morning Mass. There's extra dusting and polishing of pews and altars, and probably a lot of sanitizing in COVID times. And in some cases, precious relics that are usually housed away from the visitor's eyes are brought out and displayed for veneration. Many churches, however, have relics that are on display all year round. I read somewhere that 25 of the 40 station churches were once the homes of Romans who converted to Christianity. Now, some of the relics you'll be able to see if you follow the station churches in Rome include Sant'Agostino in Campo Marzio. Above the main altar, there's an image of a Byzantine Madonna that came from the church of Santa Sophia in Constantinople, and that's modern Istanbul. In the chapel named for her, we find the remains of St. Monica, mother of St. Augustine. The relics of many other saints are found below the main altar and near other altars. On August 27, 2018, returning to Rome after his trip to Ireland, Pope Francis stopped here to pray at the tomb of St. Monica, whose feast day it was. This is very close, by the way, to Piazza Navona. Now, if you go to Santa Cecilia, St. Cecilia in Trastevere, you'll see the body of St. Cecilia, which lies in the crypt. Sarcophagi with the bodies of Saints Valerian, Tiburcio, and Massima are found here, as is a sarcophagus with the bodies of Saints Pope Lucio I and Urban. If you go to the Church of San Clemente, run by the Irish Dominicans, we are now looking at millennia-old church history here. The present basilica was built just before the year 1100, during the Middle Ages, and beneath that is a 4th century basilica that had once been the home of a Roman nobleman. In addition, part of that home had once been an early church. The church was built over the home of Pope St. Clement, the third pope after St. Peter, and his relics are beneath the main altar, together with an arm of St. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch. In the underground part of the church is the sepulchre of St. Cyril, apostle to the Slavs, whose relics are in the upper church in a chapel on the right side. San Marcello. Now in this church, we see the remains of Pope St. Marcello in an urn beneath the main altar. In the fourth chapel on the left, in an urn in the altar, are the relics of St. Felicity and her seven sons. Remember that story? In the Chapel of the Crucifix are relics of, among others, St. Longinus, whose sword pierced the side of Christ at the crucifixion. Relics of many other saints are in this church. Santa Maria and Via Lata. Tradition says that St. Peter and Paul and the evangelists, Saints John and Luke, at one point spent time in a residence here, and that St. Paul wrote his letters to the Hebrews and St. Luke, the Acts of the Apostles. San Pietro in Vincoli, St. Peter's in Chains, is a beautiful church, and in a beautiful glass and brass reliquary are the chains that bound St. Peter when he was in prison. These are just a few of the many treasures you will find as you live the Lenten Station Church's pilgrimage. A wonderful site to explore for the full list of these Lenten churches is that of the North American College that I mentioned earlier, www. PNAC.org forward slash station dash churches. I wish you a beautiful, peaceful, healthy, bountiful Lent. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.